Hey, ghoul friends, it's me, Adrian, or Aiden. Either way, I'm still your host, and you are still listening to Susto, the podcast of ooky, spooky, scary stories. Hello, how are you? Welcome back, if this is your first time. Welcome to the t- the, the chambers, the dungeon, what have you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I hope you all are staying safe and warm. Happy holidays to all. As I mentioned online, and if you're following Susto on the socials, that's at Susto Podcast on every single platform, then you would know that I did have to postpone last week's episode to today, to this week, because I came down with a pretty gnarly sinus infection. And yeah, that was not fun. It hurt to like eat and drink. And even speaking at a certain level, the vibration of my voice just was rocking me. It just hurt so much. So I was just like deeply uncomfortable. There was no way I was going to be able to record an episode comfortably and bring you all the quality that you're used to, you know, right? So I'm back. I'm here. I'm better. Got some antibiotics back on my feet and I'm good. So thank you for your patience. I super appreciate that. Other than that, there are really not many updates for the show. Patrons who qualify for Susto Mail, make sure that you keep your eyes open for that mail. I sent out some really cute stickers that are holiday themed, but they're still creepy. They're still spooky. So again, if you qualify for mail on the Patreon, make sure to keep your eyes open for that. Again, with the weather that's coming up, there might be some delays in how long it takes them to get to you. I'm hoping they somehow make it to you before the weather gets really bad. Again, please stay safe out there. Stock up on what you need. And hey, if you have nothing to do because of the weather, you can always listen to Sustol, catch up on some old episodes, or send me your own scary stories that you want me to share on the show or on the socials. You already know how to do that. Send an email to sustolpodcast.gmail.com. Send me a DM on any of the socials or leave it in a five-star review if you are able to do that on whichever platform you are listening to. And honestly, you should just leave a review either way because you're my girlfriend. And that's what girlfriends do for each other, right? So anyway, we're going to go ahead and dive into today's episode. I figure it's very, you know, on the beat with media right now, the whole Avengers of it all, the whole Marvel universe of it all, the Noche Huerta playing uh, Namor on Wakanda Forever, which if you haven't seen, highly recommend. Thank you, Marvel, for sponsoring this episode. I'm kidding, I wish. Can you imagine? And also, I don't know, You know, it truly was a sign to just do this episode this week. For some reason, I keep seeing the word siren on like random things, on like shows, on commercials, on videos. So perfect timing. I'm saying that the universe told me this was supposed to come out this week. So let's go ahead and dive into today's episode, which is about La Tlachana. As the sun began to set over the Gulf of Mexico, Teresa could feel the first twinges of fear creeping into her stomach. She had grown up hearing the stories of La Tlachana, sirens that lived in the waters off the coast of Mexico, and she had always believed them to be nothing more than tales to frighten children. But now, as she stood on the deck of the fishing boat, watching the waves crash against the shore, She could not shake the feeling that there was something or someone out there in the water, watching her. Don't be silly, Teresa, her husband Miguel said, sensing her fear. There are no such things as sirens, it's just a legend. 
but Teresa could not shake the feeling of being watched. She had been feeling uneasy ever since they had set out to sea that morning, and now, as the sun disappeared behind the horizon, the feeling of dread only grew stronger. I don't like this, Miguel, she said, clinging to his arm. I want to go back to shore. But Miguel was determined to make a good catch. They needed the money, and he was not going to let a silly legend scare him away. We'll be fine, Teresa, he said, patting her hand. Just keep an eye on the nets and make sure they don't get tangled. I'm going to go check on the lines. Teresa nodded, but she could not shake the feeling of unease. She watched as Miguel moved to the front of the boat, checking the lines that ran out into the water. She could see the silhouette of the shoreline in the distance, but it felt like they were a million miles away. As the minutes ticked by, the wind picked up and the waves grew choppier. Teresa could hear the creak of the boat as it swayed in the water, and she found herself gripping the railing tighter and tighter. And then, just as she thought she could take no more, she heard it. At first, it was just a faint whisper in the wind, but as it grew louder, she realized what it was. It was singing. Beautiful, ethereal singing that seemed to be coming from the depths of the ocean. She looked around, but Miguel was still at the front of the boat, his back turned to her. She could see the lines of his hands as he worked, but he did not seem to hear the singing yet. Teresa's heart began to race. She knew what this was. It was La Tlanchana, luring them to their doom with her enchanting voice. She wanted to scream, to warn Miguel, but her voice seemed to have left her. She could only stand there, frozen, in fear, as the singing grew louder and louder. And then, without warning, one of the lines went taut. Miguel shouted in surprise as he was pulled off balance, tumbling into the water. Teresa screamed as she saw him disappear beneath the waves, and then, just as suddenly as it had started, the singing stopped. She stood there for what felt like an eternity, staring out at the water waiting for Miguel to resurface but he did not. The water was still and silent, as if the sirens had taken him down to the ocean floor. Teresa knew she had to get help, but she was terrified to move. She was alone on the boat with no way to get back to shore. And then, just as she was about to give up hope, she heard a splash behind her. She turned around, her heart racing, and saw Miguel hauling himself back onto the boat, soaking wet but otherwise unharmed. What happened? Teresa asked, rushing to his side. I don't know, Miguel replied, shaking his head. One minute I was checking the lines and the next I was in the water. It's like something pulled me in. Teresa looked out at the ocean, her fear returning. It was her, she said quietly. She was singing to us, trying to lure us into the water. But why didn't she take you? Why did she let you go? Miguel shook his head again. I don't know, but we need to get out of here. We can't stay on this boat any longer. It's not safe. Teresa nodded, her fear turning to determination. They quickly gathered their belongings and made their way to the shore, vowing never to return to the waters where La Tlanchana lived. They may have escaped her deadly songs this time, but they knew that she would not give up easily. They would have to be careful, and always be on guard against the dangers of the sea. 
Listen, I am already someone who is scared of the ocean, of the sea, of big open bodies of water. It freaks me out that one, that I ever used to swim in them, and two, seeing other people do it, if I'm ever around, I just like, I don't know. And I know most times there is nothing to be afraid of, but I don't know. It's just, it freaks me out. (laughs) Whatever that phobia is, I think I have it. I somehow developed it over time, and I just like, I hate big open bodies of water. Which is funny, because I am a Cancer, I'm a Cancer sun, but I'm also a Virgo rising, so I do very much love just having my feet on the ground, (laughs) not in space or in deep water. Anyway, This story did not help that fear at all, and I'm going to share a couple of links that I found about this creature, La Tlachana. But first, I want to talk about the word siren. So I feel like we all maybe have heard that word once before, at least. Siren, La Sirena, those of us who grew up playing Chalupa or Bingo, that card was always on there. Uh, And of course, the word mermaid. So to look into the origins of sirens, where this idea of sirens and mermaids came from. There's this website, worldhistory.org. Again, all direct links are going to be in the Susto Google Docs on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Podcast. And this page says, it's just called Siren on worldhistory.org. The definition, it says sirens were creatures from Greek mythology. And I feel like a lot of the stories or cryptids, actually, that we talk about on the show, a lot of them link back to Greek mythology. I think is super neat. And it's, it's again, it's always interesting to see how far these archetypes, cryptids, creatures, spirits, what have you, have traveled. So this continues, which enticed sailors to their destruction with their irresistibly beautiful singing. Their most famous appearance in literature is in Homer's Odyssey, where the hero Odysseus is on his long voyage home following the Trojan War, successfully escaped their enchanting call. Moving on to origins and attributes here, I'm not going to read the whole page because this is a pretty hefty one. It's got great information on sirens. It says, the sirens were hybrid creatures with the body of a bird and the head of a woman. That's interesting. I never really knew this version of a siren. And there's a picture right here. Body of a bird, head of a woman, sometimes also with human arms, I guess, in addition to the wings. This says... One tradition states their origin as companions of Persephone, and failing to prevent her assault, they were transformed into sirens as punishment. Historically, the creature is of eastern origin and came to Greece during the orientalizing period of Greek art. The sirens had beautiful singing voices and were gifted lyre players. So wonderful was their musical talent that it was said they could even calm the winds. Perhaps a little overconfident in their gifts, the sirens once even challenged the muses to a musical competition, but alas, without success. So this is really interesting because this doesn't mention anything about bodies of water, about sirens being mermaids or what have you, but there's still that idea of half human, half creature you know, or part human, part creature kind of being. But moving on more specifically to uh, the Tlachana, which is the specific, you know, deity actually, not a cryptid, a deity that we're talking about here. This is a wiki entry, and this says, it's a really short description. It says, her appearance is that of a woman with the lower body of a snake and is oftentimes wearing a crown, necklaces, and aquatic creatures strung around her waist. Due to European influence, later depictions portray her as a mermaid, 
with the fish tail in the place of serpents. The Tlachano originates from the Otomi goddess known as Akapashapo, also spelled Akpashapo. She was said to have divinatory powers and would be called upon to deliver omens. The Aztecs later adopted the goddess under the name Atlonanchane, which became Tlanchana. Unlike the Acapachapo people, the Tlanchana was not purely benevolent. If rejected, she would wrap around human men and drag them underwater to drown. What I'm getting from this is the Tlanchana traditionally is does not appear as a mermaid. That idea and that image only came around again due to european influence as with (laughs) many of our stories thanks europeans um yeah this so originally she was more of the snake of a body which also reminds me of a different grecian cryptid or uh, deity called lamia and i'm not sure if y'all remember i want to say i spoken about lamia before when talking about la llorona See, I love this shit. It's so cool how this is connected. The reason that she was connected to La Llorona is, and this website says, this is from Britannica. This says, in classical mythology, a female daemon who devoured children. If that is not a Yorona archetype, I don't know what it is. It says, the ancient commentaries on Aristophanes' piece says she was a queen of Libya who was beloved by Zeus. When Hera robbed her of her children from this union, Lamia killed every child she could get into her power. So again, just a quick refresher, if you don't know the story, Lamia and Zeus were hooking up because Zeus, like many of the Greek gods, were just a bunch of fuckboys, and Hera was also with Zeus, and she was pissed, so she killed Lamia's children. So Lamia was like, bet that I'm killing all the kids. Which, time and time again, this happens. They're wrong at the mad people. Hera's mad at Lamia, Lamia is mad at Hera and children, when they should be mad at Zeus because he's the one that was sneaking around behind both of their backs and playing them. So this continues, Athenian mothers used her as a threat to frighten naughty children, like La Llorona, where they would say that, I love how this is turning into a Llorona episode. Uh, but this continues, uh, Flavius Philostratus's Life of Apollonius of Tiana described her as a friend who, in the form of a beautiful woman, seduced young men in order to devour them. John Keats's Lamia from 1819 was inspired by reading Philostratus Philostratus's story in Robert Burton's Anatomy of Melancholy from 1621. And so the reason that I bring up Lamia is because oftentimes she's depicted as literally a monster where she has the bottom half of her body is is a snake. Again, that's what I thought was a really interesting connection to La Tlachana is that originally she was depicted as having a snake body. European influences brought over this idea of a mermaid body with a fishtail, whatever. So then, of course, I had to look into the Otomi people because I had never heard of them. To give you a quick rundown on the Otomi, this is a Wikipedia entry, and it says the Otomi traditionally worshipped the moon as their highest deity, which the moon has a lot of connections to water. You know, it it literally controls our oceans, the, the tides, the waves. And so the Otomi worshipped the moon. Again, their highest deity. Even in modern times, many Otomi populations practice shamanism and holds pre-Hispanic beliefs such as Nagualism. Like most sedentary Mesoamerican peoples, the Otomi traditionally subsisted on maize, beans, and squash, but the maguey was also an important cultigen, or I'm assuming crop, used for production of alcohol. 
and fiber. Although the Otomi people rarely eat what Westerners would consider a balanced diet, they maintained reasonably good health by eating tortillas, drinking pulque, and eating most fruits available around them. The Otomi were blacksmiths and traded valuable metal items with other indigenous confederations, including the Aztec Triple Alliance. Their metal crafts included ornaments and weaponry, although metal weaponry was not as useful as obsidian weaponry, obsidian being sharper than a modern-day razor, abundant, and light in weight. So I just wanted to make sure to to highlight where the history or the origins of La Tlachana is from. Continuing on that, about La Tlachana, there is a, there's another Wikipedia entry, also a short one. It was really hard to find information that was specific to La Tlachana only. You know, there's a lot of other information that is relevant, but it was more focused on that information than on her. And so I'm going to go ahead and read this one. And this is another Wikipedia entry that says, it is said that when entering the Metepec Lerma Plain, there was a creature, half woman and half aquatic serpent serpent being the key word in that sentence. She was related to the deity Tezcatlipoca and is commonly confused with the Asiwat, although the later has a fish tail according to the traditions of the Nahuas and the Huasteca. La Tlachana herself, it was already difficult to find information about her. The Asihuatl, even harder, which is interesting because from what I'm seeing online, the Asihuatl is depicted closer to a mermaid, to what we know as a mermaid, than the Tlanchana. But there's more information about the Tlanchana when you try to relate her to sirens or mermaids. It's, again, extremely interesting. But we're going to continue on with Tlanchana. This says, In ancient times, there was a huge lagoon in the east called Las Nueve Aguas, which included the lagoons of Metepec, San Pedro, Tultepec, and Lerma. The riverside inhabitants were known as men of the nets due to their trade as fishermen and waterfowl hunters, and their towns were named according to the place they occupied in this area. The fishermen came and went through the lagoon. Their swamp mother was generous and lavished her children with protection and sustenance. They say that among the thickets of tulle on the great islet, the figure of a beautiful and statuesque woman could be seen ephemerally emerging from the cold waters. Her silhouette was illuminated by the flashes of light that the moon reflected in her crown and other jewels that adorned her nudity. She was a powerful lady with the torso and head of a woman, a beautiful face, and long hair. The rest of her body was mutable. She took the form of a thick aquatic serpent if her spirit was fierce, a fish when she wanted to swim through the lagoons and fill the nets of the fishermen for whom she attracted with her singing, human legs if she wanted to get out of the water and go to the villages, in search of the chosen one of her heart. This amphibious magician had divinatory powers, and she had to be consulted before fishing and battle, planting or marriage. Her name, according to the Otomi, was Akpashapo, an aquatic goddess, daughter of the moon, mother and creator of all living things. In Nahuatl, it was said that she was the sorceress of the lagoon, mother of the fish, Atlonanchane, who was later called Tlanchana. There you go. There it is. The traditional representation of the Tlanchana is in clay, and it is a craft that distinguishes Metepec nationally and internationally. Its shape is half fish, crowned with the flowers, playing a guitar, pigmented with natural dyes. In the houses of yesteryear, there was always a Tlanchana so that there was no lack of food, since the flora and fauna of the rivers and swamps were the livelihood of the families in the area. Again, the area being Metepec. So there is that one final entry that brings it all together.
Y'all, thank you once more so much for your patience, for tuning in today. I appreciate you all so much. And I also appreciate my patrons, everyone who supports the show. This show would not be possible without your support. And you all are Asukena, William, Rachel, Amanda, Marlene, Neresa, Ashes, Jenny, Brenda, Anna, Desiree, Monica, Jeannie, Cami, Lori, Karen, Julianne, Mandy, Angela, and Co. Sam, Josette, Victoria, D, Eva, Mario, April, Luther, Alejandra, Rachel, Sadie, and Liza. Thank you and everyone else who is listening. If you are interested in becoming a patron, you can do so by visiting patreon.com. If you want me to share your stories on the show or on social media, you can do so by sending me an email to sustapodcast at gmail.com. Sending me a DM on any of the socials. That's at sustapodcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can leave it in a five-star review if you're able to do that on whichever platform you're listening to. Either way, I I would appreciate a good review or a rating wherever you're listening. Thank you all so much. Once more, stay safe, prepare if you need to, stay warm, have a happy holiday, and a happy new year. Next time I talk to you all will be in the new year in 2023. So thank you so much for an amazing 2022, and I'll see you in the new year. Bye.